Welcome to another episode of the Urban Uncovered podcast, where it is my job to interview pioneering scientists and authors to tease out some of their most fascinating work. I'm Ayatollah Rabin. I'm a translational neuroscience student and a researcher at University College London. Also want to emphasize that this podcast is my personal goal of bringing zero cost to consumer information. So it is quite separate from my other roles. Without further ado, today we're going to be talking about the relationship between AI and neuroscience. So both disciplines share the same goal of understanding the secrets of human cognition, how the brain works, which in turn can really inspire the design and development of artificial neural networks. So this is it's quite an interesting conversation we're going to be having here. So yeah, uh, without, you know, without a guest, I wouldn't really be able to explain much about it. <laughs> so we're lucky enough to be uh, joined by Dr. Mehdi Kermadi on today's episode. Uh, Dr. Kermadi has a computational neuroscience PhD. He has worked as a postdoc researcher at both the Gatsby Computational Neuroscience Unit and the Max Planck Center for Computational Psychiatry, both residing at UCL. And back in 2018, he joined the Department of Psychology at City University of London, where he still currently is actively researching artificial intelligence and machine learning techniques. Dr. Kermadi, welcome to the show. It's an honor to have you here. Thank you so much. It's an honor to be here. Thank you for coming. Uh, so I, I believe the question kind of begs itself and it's quite broad in general, but where do you where do you think we can find, you know, the most potent connection between AI and neuroscience? Um, yeah, so the connection between AI and neuroscience is um, kind of, it's a two-way road, you know, sometimes AI helps neuroscience, sometimes neuroscience helps AI. Let me um, explain each of these two directions separately. Mm -hmm. So, um, of course, it started with neuroscience until maybe 100 years ago, AI wasn't a thing, but neuroscience and psychology was already had, had already started understanding the brain and how natural intelligence works. Hmm. So lots of theories, even mathematical theories that later emerged in machine learning and AI were already developed in psychology and maybe not very mathematical, but at least the basic ideas were already there. For example, about how learning happens, classical conditioning, Pavlovian conditioning, lots of algorithms that we are now using in AI and robotics basically come from what we know about learning that Pavlov, you know, like Pavlovian learning, mm. that dog that, you know, salivates whenever they hear the sound of a bell, you know, those classic experiments. So they, the basic ideas uh, come from there. Or for example, another thing is that we always, for years and years, we knew that the brain is composed of millions of millions of neurons. Uh, maybe we didn't know how exactly they work, but we knew uh, that the, the building block of our intelligence are those neurons. And that was even before AI, the, 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 the term was coined. So the, obviously there is one direction is from understanding natural intelligence and psychology and neuroscience towards AI. But also there is the other way around. So AI has also had massive contributions uh, towards understanding how the brain works um, the fact that we can simulate if we if if i have a have an idea about 
like how neurons work, I can simulate it and then see whether it really does what I expect it to do. Or there has been lots of um, advances in neuroscience in, in, the, in the field of, for example, deep learning that has given us huge, huge insights about how the brain works or about neural networks or about um, reinforcement learning. There are so many, many, many um, algorithms that basically developed in neuroscience, in sorry, in machine learning, and then they were later used in for understanding the brain. Awesome. I don't know if I answered the question well, clearly. That's, that's quite, quite, yeah, you, it's all encompassing of an answer. So um, going back to your for, first point, so the most potent connection between AI and neuroscience happens to be the concept of reward-based uh, reward learning. So mm -hmm. um, in a way, so reward-based learning systems can kind of learn their own way through built-in rewards and punishments, just like human beings do. Uh, did I get that correctly? Mm -hmm. Absolutely, yes. So um, that probably has its roots in psychology, in behavioral experiments, behavioral psychology, basically, mm. that by reinforcing a certain behavior, when you reward a behavior that the animal has done, you reinforce that behavior and that behavior is the chance of repeating that behavior by the organism increases. So this idea was taken from psychology to machine learning and it resulted in developing the mathematical framework of reinforcement learning it's a very very um, popular idea in neuroscience in sorry in machine learning and robotics yes. but then when it was further developed in machine learning the idea of reinforcement learning and it was a fully developed algorithm then we went back and studied the brain and saw that wow lots of components of that algorithm actually exist in the brain too. For example, dopamine neurons you might have heard about. When reinforcement learning theory was developed, then one of the building blocks of the algorithm in AI of this of, of reinforcement learning is something called prediction error, reward prediction error. When I predict some reward, but then I make some error in that. Um, and then this component, prediction error components, component in uh, 1998, some neuroscientists discovered that, wow, it exactly exists in the brain and it's the dopamine neurons that carry that type of information that also exists in reinforcement learning algorithm. So you see it started from psychology, it went to machine learning and the reinforcement learning algorithm was developed. And then it went back to neuroscience and helped us understand one of the very important parts of the brain, which is um, these dopamine neurons. Mm. So obviously it's like, it's kind of a two-way relationship between those two disciplines. Uh, both kind of share the same goal of understanding the secrets of human cognition. Um, I mean, that means like learning how the brain works. Uh, which in turn can really inspire the design and development of artificial neural networks. Now, um, if we were to take a clinical perspective, how can AI benefit traditional patient care and support treatment outcomes on a day-to-day -day basis? Would you be able to tell us more about that? So, uh, yes, of course, yeah. So there are two different ways that um, I can think of how AI can help um, have can have clinical applications. Mm. 
One way is through understanding the brain, which means, um, so we have certain theories about how the brain works, and then we develop some algorithms, for example, reinforcement learning or neural networks, and then we can test how will those algorithms react to a certain treatment. For example, if I have an understanding of what depression is, and I can write it down in a mathematical language, I can write down my hypothesis of depression based on all the research that has been done. If I can write it down in a mathematical, in an AI language, then I can simulate it on a computer. And then I can expose that simulated depressed agent to certain treatments and see which one of them works best. Mm. That's actually what exactly uh, happens in, for example, reinforcement learning is one framework that is very powerful for simulating human learning and decision making. If we do have a good understanding, then we can simulate a, an agent that learns and makes decisions. And then we can expose it to different treatments to see which one will work best, which treatment scenario, for example, is the most efficient for treating a certain uh, uh, condition. This is one way. The second way that AI or, and machine learning can have clinical applications is through data science, you know, through, for example, analyzing lots of patients and see which one of the, which one of the treatments was more effective, you know, just doing finding patterns in, um, or for example, for drug development, mm -hmm. you can just, um, you have all these drugs that have been tested and all the the, the efficacy of all of them are somehow logged in the NHS system. And then you can just um, analyze them and see which one is more effective or, you know, these are two different ways. So one is through simulating the, uh, the, mm -hmm. the condition. And the second one is just to analyze data and see the, and find out the patterns that um, emerges from historical data of different treatment methods applied to different conditions. Got it. And um, so um, you, you're constantly mentioning reward-based learning. Um, are we able to see, you know, um, and reform, practically enforcement learning, are we able to see that on a day-to-day -day basis? Uh, is it ingrained within our day-to-day -day life, the way AI, um, you know, kind of incorporates this uh, mechanism? Can we see it in everyday life? Um, you mean in applications of yeah. AI in real life? Mm -hmm. or So mm -hmm. in, in terms of clinical applications, robotical applications, I mean, I've, I've, oh. we, we see on news every day about, uh, you know, this new emerging <laughs> software, um, you know, to help stroke patients or, um, you know, a number of neuroscience projects uh, that kind of involve, you know, um, using neuro headbands uh, for detect for like early detection of certain uh, uh, you know acute strokes and stuff so <clears throat> how can we see that on a day-to-day -day basis uh, as incorporation yeah that's a very good question yeah we do see we do see reinforcement learning and reward learning in both uh, robotic and machine learning applications on a day-to-day -day basis and also in clinical applications. Mm. So, for example, in terms of robotic, for example, self-driving cars 
are based on reinforcement learning. They use reinforcement learning algorithm. They use um, optimal control theory in order to find what is the best strategy for the car in every situation, for example, or basically many uh, like or a robot, you know, a robot always uses one form or one form or another form of reinforcement learning algorithm. Um, in, on, on the other hand, in the in the clinical side, so there are, for example, um, startups that I know already are working on. You know, they have apps that you can go and use, and they use reinforcement learning in order to understand your behavior. For example, if you play a game on your on on the app. Mm from your behavior, from the decisions you make on the game, they try to understand what type of reinforcement learning algorithm is in your brain. You know, what are the exact conditions? What are the parameters of that reinforcement learning algorithm? And from this type of backward engineering your brain from your behavior, they understand, for example, whether you are anxious or whether you are overthinking. And then they can offer you, for example, this or that type of um, suggestion for how to improve your situation, for example. So yes, there are both in terms of clinical and in terms of robotic applications. I'm sure you are coming across lots of applications of them in your real life that you may not even notice. And so um, coming back to, to all these examples, does it it feels like machine learning's main strength kind of lies in its ability to recognize patterns that might be too subtle or too buried in, you know, in our everyday lives for us to even spot. Is that true? Where do you think the power of AI truly lies? Mm, so there are many different ways that, you know, AI is powerful. One is that, you know, the computational power that modern computers provide us. Sometimes, you know, it's just in some of those patterns might be very obvious and even like we as humans can also pick them up but mm. then the computational power that computers provide us allows those algorithms to work at much much faster rate for example that is one idea the the other way that um where the the power of ai lies is um yeah the complexity of patterns you know the and also the huge amount of data, lots of patterns are maybe not too complicated, but they are hidden in a vast, vast uh, quantity of data. Mm -hmm. And our brain is not able to process all that data. For example, you might want to just know how many times a certain word is used on the internet and how does it correlate with a certain political movement then this is a very simple pattern, but requires processing huge, huge amounts of data. That is where AI can come in and do the job for us. Oh. But, but as you said, yeah, most in many cases, um, it's just the complexity of the pattern that might be too difficult for our brain to spot, but a, a good machine learning algorithm should ideally be able to to pick that up and tell us. All right, so one example, for example, is uh, one example could be how DeepMind, uh, the company uh, owned by Google that I'm sure many people know, uh, tries to offer the best strategy for playing chess or playing the game Go, yeah. uh, the algorithm AlphaGo. You know. So it's able to look 
at a at, an, at the optimal depth into the future, think, evaluate different strategies and um, beat human performance. So uh, that was one groundbreaking um, technology development in the, in the field of AI and machine learning that um, shows the complexity of the pattern that a, that a machine learning algorithm can pick up and beat human performance. Oh, wow. Yeah, it's quite true. And those videos have millions of views because of how astounding they are, to be honest. Um, I, I, I guess the ability for AI to, you know, just grab on immense amounts of data and um, produce output in the fastest way possible that any human can't really do um, at this point of time uh, is really life changing and it, it's game changing, to be honest. But um, we've been focusing a lot on the strengths of AI, but I bet there are some you know, common concerns uh, linked to its rise. Uh, can you think of any at the top of your head? Yeah, one of the major problems that um, we could discuss are the ethical problems and all the biases that a machine learning algorithm can be vulnerable to. So the, the, how machine learning algorithms learn the patterns is based on data. If you give them a data that contains a certain type of bias, then the algorithm will be biased. The judgments will be biased. As an example, if I, if I want to predict the rate, the, the chance of a certain person committing crime. Mm. Um, so the algorithm, and if I provide this algorithm with all the statistical, with all, with all the historical data, from police departments in London, for example, then there is a chance that the algorithm will learn that, all right, whoever is from a, a poor background, from an unprivileged background, is more likely to commit crime. So this is a type of bias that is blind to the fact that um, socioeconomic background is predictive of level of education. Mm. So it will basically profile unprivileged people and attribute a higher chance of them committing crime without taking into account taking into account the fact that it's because um, education was not sufficiently provided to them. And so rather than solving the problem, which is providing enough edu better education, it just profiles people in the in a very wrong way in a biased way um, and that could you know create lots of harms to the society you know so um, it's very important to design these algorithms correctly so that they are as least as um, they are not vulnerable to these type of biases all right so make them not vulnerable to the biases or maybe hypersensitive to the biases and that you know humans are prone to in a sense <laughs> Yes, so ideally we would like them to be even less judgmental than humans are, you know. But um, yeah, sometimes the challenge is that they are way more judgmental than humans are because um, we know that, for example, um, lots of problems like racism, sexism, uh, ages, ageism, oh. um, all the biases that um, we are trying to be careful about we should also try to implement 
AI algorithms in a way that they also take they they also take into account the fact that um, these type of biases have historical roots and they shouldn't and judgments in those areas shouldn't only just rely on current data that is available. It should take into account the historical um, unprivileged situa situation of certain minorities in the society. All right, got it. And so if we were to, you know, want to be proactive in the situation, how can we move AI to the next level? So what are some ways that, you know, neuroscience can improve AI and deep learning even further? Research in neuroscience is so expensive that for AI companies, it's not even worth investing in um, neuroscience research because it will take like maybe 10 years of research in neuroscience for discovering something that will have a tiny, tiny impact on AI, on AI research. Um, whereas if you spend the same amount of time and money and um, resources on developing on like researching on machine learning algorithms, it's much more promising, you know, investment. So I guess the, the way that research in neuroscience and psychology can help um, research in machine learning is very similar to what has had happened historically. That's understanding how the brain works, how human decision making works, has given some ideas and inspirations to machine learning researchers. And then they have gone their own way and just taken that basic idea and developed it into uh, very sophisticated machine learning algorithms. So maybe they haven't been faithful and loyal to the exact way that the brain implements that idea, but they have just gotten the idea and developed it in a way that is more appropriate to be implemented on a computer, on a digital computer. Because of course, the platform that those ideas are implemented on, whether it is a digital computer or a biological uh, organism, these, do, these are very two plat different platforms. Sometimes the idea comes from the organism and then it is the implemented with a lot of um, tweaks on the, on the digital computer. So that's, that is the way that I think in the future also neuroscience will help. When we discover something about the brain, about, for example, how the visual system works, we just get the idea and then we go and develop it as we just use it as a starting seed and then develop a fully fledged idea in in machine learning based on that so and i'm sure this will continue happening in the future so it's it's what you're trying to say here um you've emphasized this all throughout the episode is that it's not a one-way street so um it's it's kind of a uh, it's a two-way relationship so what, what we're coming to understand here is that um as research progresses within the field of neuroscience research will progress in the field of ai so understanding the power of natural neurons will help us understand the complex artificial networks within an ai system understanding circuit connectivity helps us understand the complex connections between neurons and artificial networks so it's um is it like that is it a mirroring relationship um, definitely there is. Um, <clears throat> so for example, uh, we are every day discovering more and more about uh, modularity of the brain mm. that even though the brain is a 
you know, highly connected set of neurons, but there is a still a very good degree of modularity that a, a module does one task and then the mo another module does another task. For example, this this these type of findings can really help us in developing machine learning algorithm in learn in developing like deep learning algorithms that what type of modules do we need lots of machine learning algorithms like transformers that are these days being used a lot for language understanding and language production are very modular algorithm that you know are composed of several components rather than a network of neurons that every neuron is connected to every other neuron. So we know that that's not a good idea. We need modular components that each component, one component does a certain task, and then it passes on to the next neural network component, which does another task and then another task. So this idea of modularity comes from the brain. So the more we, the better we understand what modules in the brain do what, we can try to and get ideas from that and create equivalent modules because probably you know evolution has done a pretty good job coming up with those different modules within the brain mm. so we can also uh, get ideas from that rather than designing from doing everything from scratch and reinventing the wheel we can also use the same type of modules and use them in the brain for a, one example of that would be memory for example, in order to like recurrent neural networks, um, in historically, they were designed in the artificial intelligence uh, domain. They were designed to have a sort of memory. Yes. But then we know that we we know from neuroscience that humans have also some sort of explicit memory, long-term memory. So, um, you know, so that gave us the idea in machine learning to put memory components within our neural networks instead of using recurrent neural networks to create memories we just put a an explicit memory component so they are called lstm long short-term memory uh, networks in order to have lots of amazing applications that previous neural network models did not have oh wow <laughs> I feel like I feel like there's you you gave out so many future directions for anyone that's interested in working in AI, in a sense. And um, um, on a final note, this um, this is quite a broad question. But what advice would you give to you know a very driven university student about to enter the real world? And what advice do you think they should ignore when it comes to the to their career? Just be curious and be passionate and follow your passion. Don't think about don't think too much about um about your job opportunities and stuff of course you have to be realistic but what will make you successful at the end of the day is whether you are passionate or not about what you are doing if you are passionate everything else will work out um, just follow your passion expose yourself to a very diverse set of ideas and topics and people and events and um expose yourself a lot before you have to make a decision. So when it, when the time comes that you have to commit to one thing, you have seen a lot and you know what you are good at and you know what you are passionate about and you know what is promising for the future, 
then you have a very wide set of uh, options and you can make make the best choice if you have exposed yourself to lots of different things and then yeah you can choose the one that is you're the most passionate about and you're very good at and you have all the background uh, skills that are needed for that option and then just devote yourself to that for for a while for a few years for maybe a decade maybe for your whole life and success will be guaranteed you will definitely succeed but that doesn't matter anyway because you're enjoying it and you're passionate about it anyway oh that's lovely so well uh, all i can say is you're practically telling us not to fear trying out different things because it's through trial and error that you really learn things absolutely absolutely you have to try and error without trying without exposing yourself and either succeeding or failing you will never succeed exactly um well thank you so much dr mehdi for joining me on this episode it's been a pleasure to talk to you it was wonderful i really enjoyed talking to you aya and i hope um it was a useful uh conversation and i hope your audience will enjoy it uh, i bet they will uh, for all you listeners out there i've provided a link in the show notes below uh to dr mehdi's recent publications and his academic profile uh so feel free to get curious and follow the link uh if you're learning from this episode and you like the information that you're learning please subscribe that really helps us and on apple you can give us a five-star review as well as leave us a comment um so yeah thank you for listening and more importantly thank you for your interest in science